Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. All right. Good morning, First Baptist uh, family. It is great to be together again uh, in our homes. Uh, familiar, uh, we've been there for a number of weeks, and uh, we find ourselves back here again. Uh, but it does create uh, challenges for us, right? Uh, as I think about this last week and the announcements that came down to us and the shifting of gears that we had to make here uh, in the office, I'm sure it was the same for many of you. And I suspect that there are a, a variety of different feelings that we're experiencing, everything from frustration and confusion and anger. Uh, those are natural. Those are ex- to be expected. Uh, but they're a distraction in our life. As we think about coming this morning and wanting to hear from the Lord It is my hope that we would be able to lay those things aside and not be distracted from what God wants to say to us uh, this morning. I would also say I think one concern we would have is just that maybe a level of complacency that creeps into our life uh, sometimes when we've we've, uh, been used to doing church or doing our Christian life a certain way and then we are faced with uh, new ways of doing it. Uh, there can be some complacency that creeps in. So I thought this morning we would just start by uh, praying that that God would take any distraction away from our hearts and minds today so that we can hear him clearly. So let me pray for us. God, so grateful to be in your presence. As a church family, we desire that you would speak to our hearts and our minds as we go through uh, this passage this morning. So we're just trusting you, God, that you would eliminate anything that would seek to set itself up as a distraction or something that would pull us away from your truth in our life this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing to uh, work our way through Galatians, and and thus far what we've experienced or what we've heard from uh, Pastor Peter is basically this. The Galatian uh, church has been encountering a a new and different gospel than the one they uh, accepted at first. And basically this gospel revolves around the idea of coming to a relationship with Jesus but then being forced to uh, take on or, or embrace Jewish customs, Jewish law, in order to truly be uh, Christian. And so Paul's trying to answer the question, is it Christ alone for salvation or is it Christ plus something else? And Pastor Peter's done a great job over these last uh, first couple weeks, I should say, answering the question that really it is Jesus plus nothing. And so with that as a foundation... Uh, This morning, we're going to jump into the next uh, section of Galatians and and really build on that foundation, I believe, on what Paul is saying to the Galatian church. So if you would grab your Bible, we're going to start in Galatians chapter 1 and beginning at verse 11. So I'm going to give you a moment to find that. And then I've invited uh, Pastor Kyle to come and uh, share that passage uh, to us. So it's going to be Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through chapter 2, verse 10. So let's read that together. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. 
Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, and they, too, the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Thanks, Kyle. I, I think we can notice here as we, as we move further into Galatians that there's a little bit of a switch in gears that that Paul's making here. He's gone from defending the gospel itself and trying to describe what the gospel is all about uh, to really defending his own position as a leader in the church. And so uh, apparently there had been some issues with his credibility or his authority as an apostle that had cropped up. And so we're gonna, going to see as we walk through this this morning that part of what Paul's doing as he continues to defend the gospel is he's really making a defense of himself, of who he is as a leader within the church. So in this passage, we see a couple of things. We see Paul's uniqueness. Uh, he, he says in this passage that he did not receive this gospel from any man. No one taught him, uh, but he received it uh, from Christ him, himself. So he, he distinct, distinguishes himself from the rest of the apostles, but at the same time, he's also showing that there's unity with the apostles. Later on in the passage, he says that the leaders reached out to him, gave him the right hand of fellowship, and affirmed his call uh, to preach to the Gentiles. So there is a distinctiveness that Paul is trying to establish, but he's also uh, really establishing his unity of message with the rest of the church. So as we walk through this uh, passage today, I really want to see three things uh, that Paul's trying to tell us. One, we're, we're going to see the gospel revealed uh, in him or to him, the, the gospel confirmed in him, and then the gospel proclaimed by him. So it's the gospel revealed to him, the gospel confirmed in him, and the gospel proclaimed by him. So let's look first at this idea of the gospel revealed 
uh, to him. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1. Let me read that again. It says this. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And so uh, we see that Paul's making it clear that this is this gospel message is not something that men had thought up. This is God's uh, long-time historical message of redemption to the world. And so this is not something designed by mankind, not something that's been thought up by our cleverness, but Paul is recognizing that it did not come to him through any human method. He was not, he did not receive it from any man. He was not taught it. Now, most of us would say we have been taught it, or we, so we don't have that necessarily supernatural revelation that Paul's going to talk about, but uh, Paul certainly did. And so one thing we can say for sure is that the, the idea of the Christian faith, uh, I mean, grasping it in our life really comes through the illumination of God's Holy Spirit uh, in our life. It's the work of God uh, in our life. So let's look at that a little bit more uh, closely. When Paul says it came as a revelation, he's using the Greek word apocalypsis. And this word means uh, an unveiling of something that was previously a secret. Uh, in this passage, the object of the, the revelation that Paul's talking about is the person of Jesus Christ and more specifically, the message, the good news message of forgiveness, of reconciliation to God through Jesus. This is the, the subject of the revelation that came uh, to him. Now, it's not that Paul didn't have any previous knowledge of this, right? I mean, he was persecuting the church. So he knew what the church was teaching. He knew the essence of what the Christians were believing about the gospel and, and who Jesus was uh, for sure. It's clear, though, that he did not embrace it. He's, he says he was doing everything he could to uh, destroy it. And so uh, it's not that he didn't know what it was, but he it really had no uh, life-changing meaning uh, for him. And, and he knew what they were talking about Jesus. They knew that, the, that they were saying Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, the one that the Jews had been waiting for. And again, Paul rejected that. So he knew the essence, he could probably have even told you at the time before his conversion, he could have told you the points of the gospel, but they had no meaning uh, for him and for his life. So what happened to Paul? Acts chapter 9 happened to Paul. We look at that supernatural encounter that Paul had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. If you don't know the story, I would encourage you to look into Acts chapter 9. Many of you are familiar with Paul's conversion, but he was on the way uh, to Damascus for the very express purpose of uh, destroying the Christian church, and he encounters Jesus in a supernatural way along the road. It changes his life uh, forever. And so when we think about Paul referring to this revelation that he received the gospel directly from Jesus Christ, this is where we have to start. We have to recognize that this is the point at which the light bulb flipped on in Paul's spiritual life, that he came to realize that this Jesus, who the Christians were saying was resurrected and a living Lord, was indeed that. He was alive. He was real. Everything that they said about him was true. And so this revelation, in a sense, pulls all the puzzle pieces for Paul together, and he understands that the gospel is true. Now, I should say there are other allusions and some of, other, of, of Paul's other writings, 2 Corinthians in particular, where Paul uh, references an experience he had when he was uh, out in that uh, 14 years uh, that he was away from the, the church where he had a supernatural encounter with Jesus. So it's, it's quite possible that it's kind of a both and, that this 
encounter on the road to Damascus was certainly the uh, tipping point, but it is quite possible that Paul had other encounters where he saw Jesus face to face or at least uh, his voice uh, as Jesus was informing him of the truth of the gospel. So the gospel um, was revealed uh, to uh, him. And so I want us to um, think about this for a second. This unveiling, this revelation that happened in the life of Paul happens in our lives as well. Now, granted, we don't have it in in such a supernatural way, perhaps. Some of you may actually uh, have a a rather um, supernatural-sounding story of your conversion. But at the very least, we can all identify with the idea of this veil being lifted or this revelation happening in our life where we came to understand the truth of the gospel. So I want you to be thinking about that this morning as we walk through uh, the rest of Paul's story. So the gospel was revealed to him, but it was also confirmed in him. And so as the story goes on, and beginning at verse 13 in chapter 1, Paul begins to tell his, his own personal story. And he does it in a way that I think is informative to us and something that we can benefit uh, from if we will just take the time uh, to uh, unpack this a little bit. So the first thing he says as he's telling his story is this. He says, in my previous life, And so basically he's saying, hey, before I knew Christ, before I was converted, this is what my life was about. He said, I intensely persecuted the church. I sought to destroy it. I was extremely zealous for my faith and my belief. He says, I was advancing in my faith beyond those that were my peers. Uh, Paul was going after it. He recognized in his former life that he was at the pinnacle of what he thought life was about. But then he says this, but when God... But when God. And so I did a quick search on that phrase, and I, as, and, and I haven't studied this as much as I would like to, but it's one of my, probably my favorite phrases in all of the Bible is this idea of but when God. It gives us, uh, gives us the reminder that God uh, often intervenes in our story, in our life, and wants to change and impact what's happening in our life. And so Paul says, but when God. And he's referring back to that encounter on the Damascus Road. And he's saying, this is the point where God intervened in my life and revealed himself uh, to me. He, go, he even goes further. He, he says in, in his testimony there, he says that I have been set apart from my mother's womb. In other words, he's saying before I was even born, God knew how he was going to use my life and use me. And so when we think about that, it just is a reminder that uh, God's timing is so perfect Uh, God's way is so beyond our ability to understand. And I know some of us are maybe struggling with God's uh, timing in our life or wondering what God's doing in the circumstances of of our life. And I just want you to think about your own circumstances and situations and recognize that even in the past, you've got a but when God moment. When was that? When was that time that God intervened in your life and began to transform and change you? So Paul talks about his previous life. He talks about his conversion, the moment that he met Christ and the difference that makes in his life. And then he just says, then. He goes on and says, okay, here's what's happened since then. And he tells about uh, the transformation that's happened in his life, that that his life's been changed by the power of the gospel. He thinks differently. He believes differently. He talks about going into Arabia for three years and then taking a visit up to Jerusalem to acquaint himself with the uh, apostles there. And then he takes... Uh, 14 years uh, in Syria and Cilicia, and uh, 14 years of ministry, 14 years of maybe understanding more deeply uh, his relationship with God, and he jumps into the rest of his 
uh, ministry. So what's the lesson for us here? As we think about the gospel being confirmed in his life, I think there's a lesson uh, for us uh, this morning. And it's, I think it could be summarized this way. Tell your story and tell it often. Tell your story and tell it often. So often we get intimidated about sharing our story, right? We, we think to ourselves, oh, I don't know enough theology. I don't know the Bible well enough. I, if they have a tough question, I won't be able to answer it. Uh, I, I just, so it's better for me to stay quiet or not get into that conversation. I want to tell you, tell your, tell your story, tell it often. You know, we use reason, we use logic, we acknowledge the supernatural, we use technology like we're doing this morning, we engage the culture, you know, we strive to communicate the truth of the gospel the best we can. But the bottom line is conversion in people's lives happens because of a work of God. It's nothing that we do. We want to be faithful in what we're doing, but the conversion comes as God works in people's lives. So we need to recognize this. In other words, what I'm suggesting is we need to recognize this, that there is a God and you're not him. And let me tell you a little bit about my journey into the truth of this statement, this statement that there is a God and you're not him. Many of you know that for a good portion of my uh, ministry career, I was working with uh, students, junior high and high school students. And I can't tell you how many times I was at uh, summer camp or winter camp with uh, groups that I was responsible for, and I would sit there as, as teaching is happening through the week, and I would sit in chapel with our, with our students, and maybe I'd be sitting behind them, and we'd move through the week of camp, and the speaker's doing a great job, and he's, he's laying out the truth of the gospel, and it gets to that night of camp where there's going to be, going to be an opportunity for uh, kids to make a decision. I'm sitting there, I'm praying, God, this is it. These students are ready. There's many here that need to make a decision for you. The speaker goes all the way through his uh, message. He asks for that uh, decision and nothing. Nobody moves. Nobody makes a decision. Nothing happens. And I'm going, what's going on? You've got to be kidding me. God, what is happening here? We've, this, this was a perfect setup. And yet no one responded. And I've had other times where uh, we'll be maybe in a camp situation and, and we'll be in our, our cabin after a day at camp and we'll say, hey, what what did you learn today or what was impactful for you today? And somebody, one of the kids in the cabin would say, you know, I went to a seminar th this morning and Pastor so-and-so was teaching on forgiveness and, and uh, man, it was the most profound uh, lesson I've ever heard. I mean, it just really moved me to recognize my need to forgive other people in my life. And I'll be th listening to this story and I'm going, you know, I just taught on forgiveness last week and I did a better job teaching on forgiveness than that pastor did and yet you didn't acknowledge a lick of that as we work through that. And so I'm just reminded that um, I, I gave myself way too much credit. I uh, thought that I had it all figured out. And I had to recognize that it's really not about me. It's about God meeting people where they had a need. And so there is a God. I'm not him. You're not him. It's his work in people's lives that makes the difference. So when we think about telling our story and telling it often, I want us to recognize a couple things. First of all, God has chosen to use us and use our story to help in the conversion process. Conversion is not our responsibility, but telling our story is. And so I think it's crucial that each of us work up a 90-second to two-minute version of our conversion story, that we talk about our life before Christ, and that we talk about how we met the Lord and then what's happened since then and the change that he's made in our life. And we need to do that. 
But I think the second part or the second mystery that happens as we tell our story, as we share our story, is that there's a battle going on uh, within these people's lives. So Paul illustrates this in 2 Corinthians, uh, in the fourth, uh, fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians. Let me uh, read that passage beginning at verse 2, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. It says this, Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth p- plainly, and see, this is, this is our role, setting forth the truth plainly. That's our part of this. So by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Again, there's our responsibility. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So let's look at this passage again real quick because I think there's a super important truth happening here that we need to be aware of. And when we think about that concept that there is a God who is responsible for conversion in people's lives, there's a spiritual battle going on uh, in the lives of the people that we are working with. And this idea that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. What an interesting truth. You look at verse 4 there. And it's a great reminder to us that there is something going on supernaturally uh, around us. And that the God of this world has, has blinded the spiritual eyes of people around us. And so our responsibility is to preach, to preach Jesus, to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And when I say preach, I, of course I'm not saying that you need to stand up in front of people like I'm doing right now. It's as simple as telling the story of your conversion. That's what we're talking about, the difference that Jesus has made in our life. And then what happens in that is that God lifts that veil of blindness. As we're faithfully telling our story, God lifts the veil off of their eyes, off of their hearts, off of their minds, and so that they can see and encounter the gospel in a life-changing way. And, And he alludes to the creation of the world in the same way that God spoke in creation and said, let there be light. That's what he says to us when, we, when conversion happens. He says to the individual, let, there, let the light of my gospel come into your life and transformation begins. What, a, what an incredible picture uh, of what happens in our lives. And what an incredible privilege that we have to be a part of that very thing as we tell our story in the lives of people. So the gospel was revealed uh, to Paul. It was confirmed in Paul. And then finally, the gospel is proclaimed by him. And then beginning in chapter 2, in the first 10 verses, we, we see the story of Paul traveling to Jerusalem to kind of sort out once and for all what's going on with this uh, gospel. And you see it also in Acts chapter 15, that there's this council called, and they just want to clarify uh, for, for once and for all, is it Jesus plus something or Jesus plus nothing? And, of course, they come to the, the determination that it's Jesus plus nothing. And so they're making that clarification and Paul kind of talks about uh, what happens in that encounter in Jerusalem. But I want to take a step back and just maybe be clear about something in our own experience. How often uh, it is that we can maybe get the emphasis wrong in our own life. For example, if our message focuses primarily on right living, 
versus right understanding, then what we're doing is we're creating, in a sense, this legalistic, righteous, righteousness-based gospel that I've got to live a certain way, I've got to act a certain way in order for God's gospel, God's life-changing message to encounter my life. And so I want us to be careful that we, we don't uh, emphasize too much this idea of a works righteousness that, or that it's, because let me just say, I think it's important how we live. I want to live in a morally upright society. I want to live in a place where people are living rightly. But I also want to be careful that I don't create this understanding that the gospel is more about living a certain way than it is understanding the transformation that God wants to make uh, in me. So if you find yourself saying to somebody, you need to get your life right, and then maybe God will reveal himself uh, or show up or break into your life in a certain way, then we're missing the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is that when I'm at my lowest point, when I'm at my weakest, when I am most powerless, when I realize that there's nothing that I can do to get my life right, that's when God breaks into my life. That's when he begins to pour out his grace in my life. And that's where salvation uh, comes into my life. And he begins to transform me from the inside out. The gospel and the grace of God is what transforms us. When we're at our weakest point, when we cry out to God and recognize our need for this good news message in our life, God begins to transform us. And this is the gospel that we proclaim. Our primary task is not to call people to a higher moral standard of living, but to tell them about the saving grace of Jesus. So let me finish with this. If you're a Christian and you woke up this morning and you thought, maybe God will love me today, then you are missing the point of the gospel. However, however, if you woke up this morning and and you said, because God loves me, I'm going to do okay today, then you have an understanding of the grace and and the, the good news of the gospel in your life. And here's what I believe this morning. I believe that it is the good news of the gospel that is going to transform lives and make a difference in your life today. I also believe that it is the only answer for what, for what ails the world around us, that they need to understand the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ in their life. So my hope is that we wouldn't forget that there are, uh, that there are certainly uh, ways that we want to live, uh, truth that we want to embrace as we move forward from here. Uh, but first and foremost, we need to understand that it starts with an understanding that God loves me unconditionally, that he wants to change my life. And as I come to him, as I recognize my powerlessness before him and, and really confess my sin and my, rec- and my weakness before him, that he invades my life and begins to transform it. Um, and I believe that we all need that today. Let me pray as we finish up this morning. God, we're so grateful for the truth of your gospel, that your gospel is revealed uh, to us, that it's confirmed in us, and that it's a gospel that we can proclaim the truth of uh, today. And so, God, I believe that maybe someone this morning uh, needs to recognize that they're living outside of this good news, that they, that they need to uh, first and foremost admit uh, that they are powerless uh, to live a life that is righteous before you and that they've, they've recognized that they need you in their life and that they are a sinful person that's broken before you. 
And that God, we, we know that it's as simple as just believing in who Jesus is, that he came to set us free, to transform our life by this gospel message, and that we just simply need to express our faith in him by choosing to follow him the rest of our life. So God, that's our prayer today. Would you meet us in the midst of this as we recognize uh, through the rest of this week, as we head out into a new week, we would live as people transformed by the gospel of Jesus and that that transformation is impacting others as we tell our story and as we tell it often. So God, we're grateful for your work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.